a, a diverse study even. And tonight, with our last evening of focusing on the Psalms, we're going to uh, challenge ourselves a little bit. And what we're going to do is we're going to maximize our time tonight. So instead of spending the entire evening on one psalm, we've broken it up and we've each chosen a psalm. So you're going to hear about four different psalms. We're not going to discuss each one. Each, each one of us is going to take a single psalm and share with you the big idea of that psalm and, and, and some thoughts on it. And so uh, it's roundtable rapid fire, I guess. I, I'm, I'm not sure what to call it. But we're going, we're going to uh, give you four psalms in our concluding night together. So... I'm going to let Jay start us off uh, with the psalm he's chosen this evening. Okay, Psalms 25. Psalms chapter 25. You know, I, I like this format. We always do so good at managing to talk about one psalm in less than an hour. Let's do four in, in half that time. So I'm excited about how this goes. Um, psalms chapter 25. Um, um, did I write the wrong psalm down? No, I, I did. It's Psalms 84. <laughs> I, got, I got my note page here, and it says Psalms 25, and I'm thinking, that we doesn't... We are off to a great yes. start. <laughs> Psalms 84, man, that... Whew, my heart's pumping right now. There, that looks a little more familiar. Psalms 84. Um, let's read the text together. Uh, well, we're going to read it in sections and I've got just mainly three points, and I'll pass the baton off to whoever's next. Um, let's read verses 1 through 4 together. Psalms 84, 1 through 4. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The sparrow also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who, who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. I picked this passage because mainly because of the first four verses and how they jumped off the page to me. We see the psalmist here just longing for the courts of God. Longing to be in the presence of God in his house. And just that yearning to be around other people in that setting. Whether this is the tabernacle, the temple, or whether it be the, the house of God eternally, what he's getting to is, that's where I want to be. This is, that's the, the physical location that my soul is longing for. And the thing that I, out of this text I really wanted to bring out because I found it interesting are the two animals, the two birds that he uh, specifically calls out. The, the sparrow also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself. In context, this seems kind of odd because if, if the psalmist is saying, okay, I love being what we would say at church, right? I love being at the temple. I love being at the courts of God. I yearn for that. What's the significance of saying, okay, even the sparrow finds a place, even a swallow finds a place? Why not some of the more majestic animals or any other animal why the, or just birds, but why those two specific animals, those birds alone? What I found is, is interesting. The first is, the sparrow is always known, and Christ himself would use this illusion, as so in, in, insignificant. The psalmist says, even the, the, small, the smallest little bird, the, the, the most in, insignificant almost animal there is, even the sparrow finds a place in the courts of God. And the next one down, even the swallow, it says, swallow a nest for herself and finding this was new to me I like this was kind of neat to see that a lot of times uh, in, in, in this context alluding to that would almost like a busybody 
A swallow is known for just being one of the most kind of uh, active birds there could be, almost like what we'd call today, you know, can, we might allude to a, uh, a hummingbird or something like, something like that. And so the psalmist has these two specific birds, one that's insignificant and one that, and one that is restless. He says, and even they find a place in his house. The church is a beautiful thing today in our world because there's a place for everybody in it for all those that are finding, following the will of God. We've got a lot of people in here that are busy. We've got a lot of people in here that at times may feel like themselves are insignificant. But the fact is, there's a place in the household of God for all of God's family. And I love the passion that this psalmist has in alluding to this, in, in, in referencing this. My soul longs and even yearns for the courts of the Lord. When was the last time maybe you had to miss a service because you were sick, maybe you had COVID? When was the last time you had that feeling again where you, you're so long to be in these pews? When was the last time you yearned, you just, just passionately desired to be back here with your brothers and sisters? Two, COVID two years ago isn't that far away, and how fast have, maybe have we already forgotten just how, how big of a blessing it is to be in the courts of God today in, in a room it's just a room, but to be around our brothers and sisters tonight. Let's keep reading. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they made it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The psalmist kind of transitions from talking about how great it is to be in the court. He, learned, he yearns to be there and now kind of makes this uh, reference to a journey. Verse 5, blessed man whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. And what a great way of saying that this man, blessed is the one who has made his eternal home or is, is on the journey, his mission in life to make it to Zion. Wouldn't it be an amazing compliment to, to look at someone and say, I can tell that you're trying to get to heaven. I can tell it in your heart you have the path, the highway to Zion in you. And then to me, the interesting part is in verse 6, passing through the valley of Baca. Commentators really don't really know maybe if that's a, a specific physical, that's a city or the valley of Baca, but it's really close to the noun. It's a play off what we think of the noun, what would translate in our language to be weeping, the valley of weeping. And it makes sense in context. Every one of them, or the, excuse me, they make it a spring. To those people in this room who have made their heart a pathway to Zion, to those people who made their, their main desire in life, I'm going to get to heaven. Then we can walk through the valley of weeping and find springs there. We can make goodness out of bad, we can find goodness out of bad situations. Our life, our calling might lead us through valleys of weeping or just the life itself that we are just kind of on train for, right? We might find ourselves in some highs and lows, but for those who have made the, the, the pathways to Zion a part of their heart, then even in those moments we can find springs. Even in those moments. And I think it's a calling for all Christians that in those moments we show other people that yes, my life isn't as good. Yes, circumstances aren't what I want them to be. But look how blessed I am. Look at the blessings I'm finding right now. Let's keep reading. I have, I don't know, I should look at the time. Uh, o Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Very quickly as I wrap it up, two, two things. This is the only allusion in the whole Old Testament as God being a son. Interesting that he kind of compares that to, he says, Lord God is a son and shield. So it's kind of the, 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 the dichotomy of that together. But I wonder what our congregation would look like if we all had the mindset of verse 10. I would rather stand at the threshold of God, the th- threshold of the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. What if everyone in this room tonight had this desire that I would rather be the lowliest servant, I'd rather pick up every single chair and table after an event than be a CEO at some big company outside these walls? I'd whether, I would rather do anything for anybody in this room than be recognized for my success outside of this room. If we can have that mindset in here, then we're going to have to build a few new buildings because I think this place would blow up. I think this place would, if that's a mindset I think that leads to success in God's eyes. Amen. Mingu, will you take us to your psalm and share your thoughts on it? Okay. I chose uh, 118. Psalm 118. Um, let me uh, start with uh, verse 18. Uh, the psalmist says that, uh, says that the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Um, and we can look at what he was going through or what he has been through from verse 8. Uh, uh, no, from verse 10, all nations surrounded me. Verse 11, they surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. And verse 12, they surrounded me like bees. Uh, verse 13, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. So he was uh, in a very, very uh, difficult situation. He was suffering. And, uh, but uh, he prayed to God and God rescued him. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does uh, valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So the psalmist uh, praises God that God uh, delivered him from the difficulties, from the uh, hard time that he went through. And he finally uh, realized that God uh, has steadfast love for him. So verse, from verse 1, he prays like this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, let the House of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. So what he is really saying, the psalmist really saying is that the steadfast of love, uh, steadfast love of God is uh, enduring forever. And he prayed to him and God answered to him and he rescued him and God became his salvation. But 
there is an interesting thing that, uh, important and interesting thing that we should not miss. Verse 19, it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in, in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. That uh, from these verses, we uh, can notice that he was in a difficult situation, but God delivered him. But God delivered him because of, because of one reason. He was seeking God's righteousness. The righteousness was the gate for him to go into God's grace, God's salvation. So Stephen's love of God is for all. Stephen's love is, uh, it, uh, uh, can be called mercy or love of God. Stephen's love in Hebrew, ahab, means unceasing uh, love of God and merciful love of God. So, steadfast love, the mercy, love of God, is for all. We humans have difficult times, and we need his love. We need his help for us to get out of the difficult situations in our lives. But this is the key, or this is the access to that mercy of God, the righteousness. We have to do God's righteousness. You know how we can do God's righteousness? We can obey the gospel. We have to obey the gospel. As we obey the gospel uh, of Christ, who was the cornerstone, who was rejected, which was rejected by many people, but we have to accept it. We should not stumble over it. We have to accept the cornerstone that God set for us, and that, is, that will be our righteousness. That will be our gate to the salvation of God. And God's steadfast love is like something stored in his storehouse, huge, you know, plenty and humongous storehouse we can access, we can have access to it only as we do, the, do God's righteousness through Jesus Christ. So I think this psalm teaches us the truth, how we can be saved, how, how we can be delivered, even from the difficulties in our lives. We have to do God's will, and we have to obey the gospel. And uh, like verse 4 says, we have to fear God and his, keep his commandments. This psalm teaches us this simple but strong and important truth to us. Thank you, Mingyu. Ben, 
I want to turn our attention to Psalm 43. Psalm 43. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. If you're looking for it, it's the one after 42. And before 44. Psalm 43. Go ahead and we're going to read the whole uh, psalm and then have some thoughts. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful an unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to, my, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. When we read this psalm, I think throughout our series of the book of Psalms, we have time and time again found common ground with the psalmist. Each time we've gone to the Psalms, we have seen them be able to express things in ways that we maybe for years have been trying to express, but come short on. Perhaps it's because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to do an inspirational measure of, of writing, and we aren't inspired in that way by the Holy Spirit. But when we look at this Psalm, I think what's special about this psalm and why I chose this psalm tonight is because I think it's, it's very good at capturing how many of us feel right now in our nation. And I wanted to, to talk about this tonight because I, I myself sometimes need this reset. I myself need to, to go back to God's Word and be reminded of what my focus really should be. So let's just go through the psalm a little bit. It, you know, at the beginning, we find the psalmist in some sort of, of deep distress. Some sort of, of deep struggle and trial and, and, and problems in his life. He's, he starts it off with this huge word, right? Vindicate me. Uh, the, the idea of vindication is to be freed from any guilt or any blame. He's asking God to make him blameless. Notice, this is one of the psalms it's not a song uh, like most of the psalms. It's, it's not a, a, a praise. It's a prayer. It is a petition that the psalmist is pouring out to God. He's crying out to God for vindication. Vindication against who? Look what he says. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. This psalmist has found himself in the midst of an ungodly nation that has made him or her or whoever the psalmist is, they have made them the enemy. And a lot of people in our, our day and age, a lot of Christians are made out to be the enemy in our nation. Those who choose to do right and choose to, to follow God, they are made to be the enemy when in actuality, they're the friend of God. 
And so this psalmist finds himself in the same situation that perhaps many of you find yourself each day of your life. Feeling like you have been made the enemy when in actuality the evil, unjust, deceitful nation around you is the enemy. And so he's asking for vindication. Make me blameless, Lord, before these people. Don't help me understand that I am not to be made to blame for the people around me. Deliver me from these people, he's asking. I want to make something very clear. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to excuse some of you. Some of us have lost sight of what really matters. Some of us have, have seen the nation around us and have, have gotten so upset to the point that that is all we can focus on. Some of us have gotten so upset that if we were to look at your social media, we would first understand what party you support versus what God you support. If we were to scroll through your feed, all we would see is how much you are upset and we would never see Jesus once. We would never see things going on in, in this congregation once because all you ever talk about is this nation. And oh, how horrible it is. How horrible the nation is. And perhaps there is a place for some of that. But how great would it be if we could look at our social media, if we could look at, at the things that we say and the things that we let our, our friends see and let them see that we are... Christians first. That, that what we support, number one, is Christ. And Christ alone. How wonderful would it be if, if someone knew that you go to Buford Church of Christ and the number one thing that you talk about is the Lord. The number one thing you talk about is Christ. And so let's continue this prayer. I think there is a change of attitude here in the psalmist. He goes from, from thinking about this horrible nation around him to refocusing his thought on what really matters. Continues. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle and then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. You see... This psalmist had been totally, had totally lost sight of what they should actually be focused on. They had been so consumed by the evil nation around them and the deceivers and all of the unjust men that they could not see what actually mattered in life. And what do they ask? They don't continue to, to talk about the evils of the nation to the point that as if God doesn't understand the evil. What they do is they say, send your light and your truth and let them lead me. I believe this psalmist may have been guilty of letting the situation around them be leading them for far too long. The unjust, the deceivers around them, the evil nation around them were, were, were guiding them. They were guiding their thoughts. That's all they thought about. And the psalmist realized, I can't be consumed with this anymore. I've got to consume myself with God's light and God's truth. 
and just see what happens as soon as he makes this decision. As soon as, soon as he makes the decision to focus on the light of God and to focus on the truth of God, it takes him to the holy hill. It takes him to the tabernacle. It takes him to the altar of God. And it takes him to this exceeding joy in verse 4. And notice my favorite part is the end, verse 5. The change of attitude. Remember at the beginning of the song, he is talking so desperately about how horrible the world is, how, how horrible life is on earth with all these unjust people around him. What does he say in verse 5? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For yet I shall praise Him the help of my countenance and my God. You see, this psalmist, once he stopped worrying about what was going on in the nation and started worrying about the light of God and the light and, and, and the truth of God, there's nothing to worry about anymore. He says to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? You see, there are so many people, there are so many Christians who don't have this type of peace because they don't let the truth and light of God lead them. They let the, the concerns and the problems of the world lead them. And we see the outcome of that. So my main takeaway tonight is as we look to our lives and as we look to our hearts in the situation that we live in each and every day, which one are we? Are we the psalmist at the beginning of the psalm constantly pleading the, the, the woes and, and the pain and the struggles and trials and, and all the horrors of life? Or are we the psalmist at the end of the psalm that has peace, that has comfort, that has hope? He says hope in God. In verse 5. Christians have hope. Christians are supposed to have hope. Christians are supposed to be a light set on a hill. Not a source of darkness. A source of, of complaining and murmuring and grumbling all the days of your life. Christians are supposed to be a light and that's exactly what the psalmist learned by the end of this psalm. And so when we look to our lives, when we look to our hearts, our souls, I think a lot of us have a lot of reasons to be upset. A lot of us have a lot of reasons to, to focus on the evils of the world around us. But don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of being consumed by the world. Allow God's Word and God's light to consume you instead. Thank you, Ben. Let's look at one last psalm. It's going to be Psalm 103. Psalm 103. One of the things I like about this psalm is it basically declares that God is who He is regardless of what we do. He is, His character is unchanging. And so it starts off, first five verses, pronouncing a blessing on the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In other words, the psalmist here who is David is saying, I need to bless God because of who he is. His character is flawless, and everything he does is a benefit to me. But here's what really stands out to me about Psalm 103. It's what David writes beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. I love this part of the psalm because of who wrote it. David. And if you recall, there's a psalm that we studied much earlier in this series, Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 was written by David as well. It was written after after his sin with Bathsheba was exposed. And Psalm 51 is a um, confessional psalm. In Psalm 51, David admits his sin and pleads with God for his forgiveness. What I love about Psalm 103 is that Psalm 103 is a confirmation from David that the Lord has forgiven him. It's very interesting to me, if you were to look at Psalm 51, it starts with this phrase, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And if you look at Psalm 103, David describing God in verse 8, The Lord is merciful, the Lord is gracious, He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The very thing David was appealing to God to do, to tap into those very qualities of his nature that produced forgiveness. Those very things he was requesting for in Psalm 51, he's expressing that God has brought into fruition in Psalm 103. And listen to how he describes God's love in, in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Think about that metaphor for a moment. If you were to climb into a SpaceX rocket or whatever company is now producing these things, and you had unlimited fuel, unlimited resources, could you ever reach the top of the sky? Oh, oh you could exit our atmosphere, but would you ever stop? Would there ever be an end point? Would there ever be a, a, a point at which your rocket crashes into the ceiling? Because that's how David's describing God's love. Infinite. That there's no end to it. And then you look at how he describes forgiveness in the very next verse, as far as the east is from the west. If you walked out of this building and you turned east and started walking, at what point would you start walking west? Or if you decided you don't like east... But 
you want to be liberal and go left, would you ever stop walking westward and start walking eastward? See, David is using this beautiful terminology to get us to understand just how great and grand God's love and God's forgiveness are. There's no end to it. It's the unlimited storehouse, as Mingu was referencing earlier. You know what? I bet there's some here tonight who struggle with believing that God can or God will forgive them. Who struggle with believing that God can and does love them. David committed a horrendous sin. He stole another man's wife, had an affair with her, tried to cover it up, and when his cover-up operation failed, he had the man killed so that no one might know what he did because he had gotten that man's wife pregnant. And God, when David repented, forgave David of it. In fact, you can go over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can read about David's sin. Then you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and read how Nathan the prophet confronted David about his sin. And you can read about how, how David contritely responded and, and, and repented of what he did. And in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan looked at David and said, The Lord has put away your sin. Tonight, you might be here and you might need to be reminded that our God has infinite love and infinite forgiveness to offer. You might just need to seek it out. And so we do offer an invitation. There will not be an invitation song, but if, if you need that forgiveness, if you need that love, you can find it through the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. We'd love to talk with you about it either one, any one of us up here or any of our, our elders at this congregation. And we'd love to tell you how you can find that forgiveness. With that, we're going to bring our study of Psalms as part of this roundtable to a close. I hope it has been as enjoyable and as beneficial for you as it has been for us, because here's the beauty of the Psalms. Ben was alluding to it just a moment ago. You can find a Psalm for every occasion. For everything you're going through, there's a Psalm for it. We've come across psalms that are praising God. We've come across psalms that are confessing sin, psalms that are praying for change, psalms that are lamenting difficult situations, psalms that are prophetic. There's a psalm for everything. And we've only looked at about 10% of them. So anytime you're struggling or anytime you want to praise the Lord, or anytime you need help with the words to communicate in your prayer and in your confession, turn to the Psalms. Because I believe that's one of the reasons the Lord gave it to us, that beautiful book. Let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then uh, I'll transition us to, to what's coming after this study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for uh, uh, providing it to us so that we can look back at it and we can connect with it. We can appreciate what these authors have written and how they've expressed the same thoughts, the same feelings, the same experiences as us. 
Lord, we want, we want to live lives that bring glory to you in everything that we do, and, and we ask for your blessings on us so that we might do that. Lord, if we're not shining as lights in this world like we should, help us to change that. Lord, if, if we have not obeyed your will, have not found your salvation, help us to find it. And Lord, if we're not prioritizing you, if we're not willing to make sacrifices for you, help us to do that. Lord, if we're struggling, struggling to know your love and forgiveness, help us to find it. Above all, Lord, we want to thank you for loving us and for expressing that through the sacrifice of your Son. May we never take it for granted. It is through the name of Jesus Christ that we pray.